following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So the initials, D-I-Y, stand for do-it-yourself. And this is like a, this is a snowball that has been rolling in our culture. There are now television shows that teach you how to do it yourself. There's all kinds of blogs and websites. If there's some project, some way you want to renovate your house, they will tell you how to do it yourself. Now, there's a couple reasons why you might say, I'm going to do it myself. I can do it. There's a couple reasons why you might do that. The first is you're really you're just gifted, like you know how to do it. And you say, why would I hire someone to do something I can do just as good, if not better? So some of you are gifted. Some of you say, you know, I'm going to do it myself because you're thrifty. Anyone say, like, I'm a thrifty, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm thrifty, so I do it myself and things explode. Okay, that's some of you here. You're thrifty, so you do it yourself. Some of you are more in the category that I'm in, you do it yourself out of stupidity, okay? And this is, okay, if you're like me, anytime I'm like, look, I, I can do this, okay? Like, I, I'm completely capable of doing this. That usually leads to at least one hospital visit. Um, I usually spend more than it would have cost to hire someone to do it. And then I have to hire someone anyway to not only do it, but fix all the things around the house that are broken, okay? So usually, for me, that's not a good plan. But there's some of you that are smart enough that you say, I am not a do-it-yourself person, and, and here are the reasons why. The first thing is you say, I, I just, I'm going to own it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. I'm not going to do it myself. I, I know better. I know my limits. I'm smart enough to say I need a professional, okay? I, I, I don't know how. Some are, are, you are saying, look, I do know how, but I don't have time. Like, I just do not have the margin in my life. I know it's going to take three times longer than I'm thinking it's going to take, and I just do not have time, even though I could, I don't have time. And some of us are in that category where you say, here's the bottom line, I just don't care. I know that closet door has been broken since 1992, and I've just made peace with it, okay? It's just always going to be broken. It's going to scrape across the floor every time, and I'm, man, I'm good with that. I just, I just don't care, okay? And so we all approach those kinds of projects from, from different angles when it comes to a do-it-yourself kind of situation. But I want to take that idea, and I want to bring that into our spiritual lives for a second. Because there's a component of the spiritual side of our lives that's do-it-yourself. In fact, kind of more technically, this is how it operates. When God finds us and saves us, when we, when we find God, when we choose to follow Jesus, which first of all, just if you're here and you say, look, that's just not where I'm at, just so you know, I'm just here with questions. I don't really know what I believe or where I'm at. First of all, man, I'm so glad that you are here. And that takes courage to come with your questions. And I hope you know that this is the type of church that we love people that are in the place with asking questions. And I hope you know you can feel totally safe to journey with us with your questions. So glad that you're here. But maybe you're at that place where you're saying, um, I'm following after Jesus and, I, and I'm trying to get closer to God. I want my life to look more like Jesus. Here's really how that operates. God accepts anyone right where they're at, 
He just accepts us right where we're at, but he doesn't leave us where we're at. And he takes us on this journey where he's transforming us, he's renovating us to make us how he knows we should be. He's doing that work, and, but there is a component that we come alongside as the apprentice, as the helper. There is a part of, of our growing in faith that is up to us as we grow. And the challenge is sometimes we feel like so inept to do that. We don't know how to do that, that we're not taking advantage of growing in, in our belief and growing on the spiritual side, growing closer to God. But this chapter in the book of Psalms that we're going to look at is absolutely so profound. It's like the instruction guide for us. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you'd open to Psalm chapter 1, we're just going to look at a piece of Psalm 1. We've been studying that the last couple weeks. Psalm 1, we're going to start with verse 1. It's also going to be up here on the screen. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So let's just look at just this first verse because it's really interesting how the entire book of Psalms opens up. The first verse of the first chapter in Psalms starts with this word. The first word is this word, blessed. Now, if you know anything about the Psalms, you've probably, you've maybe at least heard Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, or maybe you've heard other parts of the Psalms that you didn't even know came from that book. The Psalms is just beautiful, rich songs and poetry about God. It's this soaring language that makes us think about the bigness of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God. It makes us think deeply and has this rich language to describe God. And so it's not surprising that it starts the entire book with this word, blessed. We kind of expect to think about how our lives are going to be blessed on this kind of like transcendent, like bigger pain, this bigger level of how we're going to be blessed. But what's interesting about this word blessed, the original Hebrew word there is actually talking about something way more down to earth. It's saying basically, trust me, you are going to be happy if you do this. It says it like this. I love the way Psalm starts. It's very down to earth. It's like the writer of Psalms is getting down at our level before it starts talking about all this deep stuff about God. It's just looking us eyeball to eyeball and it's saying something like this. Look, I know your life is crazy. I know that you are busier than you can handle. I, I know that you've got decisions swirling around in your brain. I know that you're stressed. I know that you've got relationships you're working on. I know that it's crazy and you feel like you don't have a moment to breathe. But can I just give you one key the psalmist is saying that you are not going to regret if you do this. Your life will be blessed. You will be happy if you do this one thing. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago, this word blessed. And our homework from week one was because the Psalms, Psalm 1 is telling us how to be blessed, we decided to commit as a church to memorize Psalm 1. It's just six verses and even consider memorizing it as families. Hopefully um, you got a chance to start memorizing Psalm 1 or maybe you've memorized it. If not, I encourage you to dig in. And we're taking Psalm 1 as like a seed, planting it in our hearts and watching how it grows and shapes our lives. So we started week one to memorize Psalm 1. Well, then last week, Pastor Justin was telling us about and teaching us about the rest of the Psalm 1, verse 1. And it starts by saying, if you want to be blessed, it says, here's what not to do. 
And it says, don't do this for starters. And it says, be careful. It says, walk in the way of sinners or, or um, it says, stand, it says uh, I should probably just read it because I apparently have no idea what it says. It says, <laughs> let's not put this one on the podcast, okay? Can we just make, okay. It says, someone, apparently I have not memorized it. I thought I had memorized it. I need to go back and do my homework. Okay. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He says, basically, essentially, be careful about these things that are influencing you away from the things of God. It says there are things that we kind of walk by and they're like these advisors, these counselors, there's these voices that we go to, like, how should I handle my life? How should I handle my marriage and how I parent and my money and my goals and my future? Make sure those voices are teaching you godly things and not the things that are go against what God says. We talked about um, the, the things in our life that we stop and stand in, and there are these relationships that, well, I watch my friends handle their relationships like this, so I'm going to handle my relationships, and be careful of how that's influencing you. Talked about those assumptions that you have in our life, that, that we have in our lives that are so deep down that we don't even realize they're there that are not founded on God's word, but founded on other things that are, that are influencing us. And so we talked about last week in the homework that we were challenged to do where there's these three questions that helped expose the negative influences in our lives. And we we're supposed to kind of to uproot those and figure out how this week and how we're going to start lessening the way those things are influencing us. And I hope you did like I did. I took a morning this week and just went through those questions and just prayerfully saying, God, what are those voices in my life I need to pull out so that I'm not influenced by those things? So, so far in Psalm 1, it's told us, here are the things not to do. If you want to be blessed, don't do this. But it hasn't yet told us what we are supposed to do. And let's look at verse 2 to see what it says. Psalm 1, verse 2 says this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now see, this is interesting. It says, okay, the person who's going to be blessed, here are the things not to do, get the bad influences out, and then the things you're supposed to do. First thing he says is, delight in the law of the Lord. Now, okay, just time out a second. Time out, Mr. Psalm writer. Okay, okay I could get on board if you said, all right, you're going to be blessed, get the negative influences out, and obey God's laws. I could, I could see that. Okay, I'm kind of expecting you to say that. I'm kind of expecting, I could deal with it if you said, okay, I know it's hard sometimes, but make sure you follow God's laws. Just choose to do it. It's not pleasant sometimes, but just follow God's rules and God's laws and God's commands. That's not what he says, is it? He says, blessed are those who delight in the law of God. I mean, those are two words that we typically don't put together, right? Delight and law. You ever have someone who says, you know, hey, so what do you, what do, you do for fun? Oh, you know, I just, I love to go over the condo association laws. <laughs> what color can I, I like to go through the, the homeowners association, see what color, I remind myself, oh yeah, I can paint my mailbox that color, that's right. I just love to look at, lo at laws. When my family, we go to a public pool, my kids and everyone else swims in the pool, I just love reading the pool rules. I just go right back through them. I just love checking up on traffic laws. I love laws. No one's like that. Well, if you are, okay, you're a little weird. Okay, most people are not like that. We don't, we don't associate delight 
with laws and rules, right? But time out, because there is times in our lives where you delight in laws. I'm not just saying you appreciate laws that protect you. I'm saying there are times in your life where you love laws. You geek out about laws. There are certain parts of your life where there are laws you obsess about and tell all your friends about the laws. So imagine this. I don't know if you've ever been this person or had a friend who's this person. Have you ever had a friend who gets on a new diet and it like changes their life? They've never felt as good. They've never lost this much weight. They've never uh, worn that size clothes before. And I mean, it just changes their life. And, they, and you, um, one day you say, man, have you lost a little weight? And they've been waiting for someone, okay? Oh man, I got to tell you, I'm on the radish diet. I eat radishes every day. I can have three beets on Thursday, but I'm just, I'm on the radish diet. I eat radishes, a radish juice, and they're going on and on about the radish diet, and they're telling you, man, I lost 37 pounds in seven minutes on the radish diet. It is incredible. And they go on and on about their diet. Have you been that person before or had that friend? What is a diet? It's laws. Eat this, don't eat this. You can have this amount of this, of, of this kind of food, and after at 8 o'clock, you can't have anything, okay? And it has, gives you different laws. That's what a diet is. How about this? Some of you are, love those books that develop you as a professional. It helps you. Maybe it's the, the books on maybe time management or leadership or uh, productivity or marketing, and you love reading books like that. So just for fun... I went on Amazon and I just typed in these words, seven laws of, and hit enter to see what it brought up. And I just randomly picked the number seven because it seemed like it would be in a book title. Seven laws of, and this is what came up just on the first page. Seven laws of success, seven laws of the learner, seven laws of the teacher, seven laws of love, seven laws of magical thinking. Sounds interesting. Seven laws of communication, seven laws of productivity. So what happens? If you're one of those people and you love those kind of books, you read the seven laws of time management or whatever it is, and you read these laws. This is what you do first thing in the morning, and this is what you do, and when you have a to-do list, you do it like this, and it's giving you all these laws. It changes your life. You buy 10 copies and pass it out to everyone you work with, and you're completely geeking out about what? Laws. You love laws. In fact, how about this one? One of those that came up on Amazon was seven laws of the golf swing. It's the same in sports. Okay, imagine this. You, we love law. We think of sports as recreation. We love laws in sports. We go get training. You go to play golf and you go get a golf lesson. He, what is that golf instructor doing? He's giving you laws. Do you ever freak out to, to the instructor and get all mad at him? Like, dude, why are you crowding in on me? Like, don't tell me what to do. So you say, hey, if you, want, if you don't want to put that slice on it, you got to bring your elbow in. Look out, buddy. I'll put my elbow wherever I want to put my elbow. I'll elbow you, okay? What's, what's your deal? Don't tell me what to do. We love laws. And if you learn something in, in your golf game, some laws that you follow, you will love those laws. See, the thing is, it's, it's not laws in general that we don't love. Because we will delight in laws once we're convinced that they'll bless our life. We just don't like empty laws. So what this psalm is saying is blessed are you when you delight in laws. That's not weird. We delight in laws all the time. 
He's starting his first thing when he's saying what to do when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to, when it comes to what we're supposed to do. He says, he says, delight in it, have that attitude. He's addressing our attitude. Love the law. Realize that it is going to bless your life to the point that you geek out about it and telling all your friends about these laws that have transformed your life for good. In fact, listen to what it says in Psalm 119, verse 12 through 16. Look at this, Psalm 119. Listen to how he, another psalm describes it. He says, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. And in the ways of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That's someone who so understands how God's laws have blessed their life, they're geeking out about it. But there's something else interesting. He says, delight in the law of the Lord. That word law there's actually more going on with this word. And for us to understand and apply this part of the Bible to our lives, to understand this chapter to our lives, we have to appreciate a little bit of history here. So let's just zoom out for a second. The Bible is, we, we sometimes say it is God's word because over the course of 1,500 years, God inspired different writers to, to write down and record his words. And he's speaking his words through them, through their perspective and through their personality, but it's his words recorded. And there's these different sections over those years that were written. You've got historical sections in the Bible. It talks about like David and, the, and Goliath and marching around Jericho and some interesting stories like that. It's got these prophets that are, that are foreshadowing what's to come and speaking into their context. You've got these gospel, that we call the gospels in the New Testament, these stories about Jesus, all these letters to Christians throughout the rest of the New Testament. But the very first part of the Bible, the first five books are a section all their own, and it's called the law. In a Jewish context, it's known as the Torah. Sometimes it's referred to as the Pentateuch, as in penta, meaning five, the first five books of the Bible. They're a section all their own called the law. Now, historically, hang with me here. When Psalm 1 was written, the only part of the Bible they had as scripture at this point was the law. So when he's saying, I delight in the law of God, he's not referring to just the rules and laws and statutes of God. He's referring to the scripture. So thousands of years later, now that we're reading it, we can understand that this is talking. Now we have the rest of the scripture, so we can say we delight, not just in the rules and regulations of God, we delight in all of his word, all of the scriptures. We delight in the Bible. In other words, it starts with our attitude. First thing we're told, you'll be blessed if you delight in God's word, in his scripture, in the Bible. You say, I understand how much that will radically bless my life. Now, maybe you say, okay, look, I, I got it. I've heard that before. I know the Bible will help me, but it's not that simple. I've got like real decisions to make, and I don't understand how the Bible's supposed to tell me. Am I supposed to just like sit down and like, okay, this is my question, and then say, okay, what, what does it say about that? I mean, where's the verse that says, Rhonda, don't date Kevin, date Tim? Like if I could find that verse, Phil, keep your job, don't take the new job. Like if I could find that verse, that would help me. I think sometimes the problem is we understand the Bible is supposed to bless our life, but we don't understand what our relationship with the Bible is supposed to look like. 
Do we just pull it out in an emergency and just flop it open and see what it says and how it answers our questions? That's like using it like one of those magic eight balls. Like, is that what our relationship with the Bible is supposed to look like? And I think what we don't understand, but here's the good news. In Psalm 1, verse 2, it explains, it explains this one little phrase. It's like the instruction manual of how you use this book. It says, we delight in the law of the Lord. And then it says, and on his law, we meditate day and night. It's telling us very simply how we use this book. It says that we meditate. It's the first word it uses. Now, when we think of meditate, we think in our culture um, like Eastern meditation, where you sit down, you fold your legs, and you empty your mind of everything, and you're trying to find something inside. But Christian meditation is the exact opposite. You're not emptying your mind, you're filling your mind. You're not trying to find something inside, you're searching for God, something outside God to speak into your life. In fact, it's even more helpful, the actual word there that we're translating meditate actually means to mutter. And here's what it's describing. I don't know if you've ever um, done this or seen a friend do this, that they're, so, they're pondering something so hard. It's not that they've gone crazy, but they're pondering something so hard that they're talking to themselves. Have you ever seen this? Your friend's pacing around saying, well, if I do this, then this happens. If I do that, this happens. And they're just kind of talking under their breath. That's someone who's like really wrestling with something, isn't it? Like, pond, like really untangling something. What this is saying is mutter about the Bible. Be so wrestling with something you read in it that you're kind of muttering about it all, the, all day. Like, let me, let's just throw a couple other metaphors at it. It's like, um, it's like marinating in the Bible. Okay, you're going to grill out tomorrow. So this afternoon, you get like a, uh, some pork or some beef, and you take it, you get the marinade ready, all the spices inside. You get that steak, and you, you put it in the marinade, and you just let it sit overnight, and then you, you uh, flop it down on the grill the next day, and it's just pulled in all of the flavors and the spices. It's just marinating in that. It's saying marinate in the Bible. Or, or think about um, steeping. Do we have any, uh, any coffee drinkers in here? Any people who like big coffee? Some of you are like waving furiously. Okay, like we got it. We understand. Okay. You're a coffee drinker. There are like a thousand ways to brew coffee. My favorite way is the French press. Anyone ever use the French press mode of coffee brewing? I think it is the best. What you do is you take some coffee beans. You ground it a little coarser. You put it in the, the carafe, just, the, just the, the grinds in the, in the carafe, and then you pour in the hot water, and you let it just sit like a coffee soup for like four or five minutes. And then you take the plunger, and it's got this mesh at the bottom, and you push it down through the water, and it's pushing all the grounds down. And on the top, the coffee that's left, because it's just been steeping in the grounds, is a thicker coffee with a very rich flavor. And it's, it's so much thicker because it's not just water that's running through the coffee through a, a paper filter. It's just sitting in it for a while. Steeping. It's saying, steep in the Bible. Think of it like you're chewing on it. The Bible's not a pill that you swallow in the morning. It's something you chew on the rest of the day. You take it with you and chew on it. That's what it's describing. It's saying, it's, it's describing this as something that you dig in and chew on it. And then it tells us when, and the last thing it says is on this law, he chews on it 
day and night. I love that it doesn't just give us like a legalistic like standard. It doesn't say, and meditate on it at least three to four times a week. It doesn't say that. It says day and night. In other words, your life is supposed to be saturated by the Bible. You're saying, you're saying I should read it every day? Absolutely, that's a great thing to do to read it every day. Don't, but, but don't just read it every day. Chew on it every day. Marinate in it. Satur, saturate your life in the Bible. See, here's the, the, the issue, and I love that, that this last part, day and night, it speaks to it because sometimes our expectations for how the Bible works is a little bit off. Like we expect the Bible to like open up and it's just to have like a spiritual explosion every time we read it. And there are times, I don't know if you've ever been in this place where you've tried to read the Bible and you read it through and you're just like, yeah, I got nothing on that pass. God, I'm, I know it's something with me, but I got nothing. And you're just like, I, I don't know. What, what is this supposed to do? That's not how the Bible is supposed to operate. There are times when you're reading the Bible alone and man, it is, there is powerful moments. But those are, those are gifts. What's supposed to happen is regularly saturating ourselves in the Word shapes our life. Right now, it's the new year, so the, the gyms around South Florida are slammed with human beings because it's January. February, it starts to taper off a little bit, and everyone's gone in March, okay? But right now, it's slammed. Now, can you imagine... If someone, if I woke up and said, all right, this is my year, I'm not just going to get in shape. I'm going to become a monster this year, okay? <laughs> I have to buy all new clothes. Like, this is my year, okay? I'm, I'm going to do this. And so I go to the, to the gym one morning, and I just work out. Like, I'm just pouring with sweat. I've pulled three muscles, okay? I go to bed that night, and I wake up the next morning. I can barely get out of bed. But when I do, I run to the, to the mirror, rip off my shirt, and I look at myself and say, I didn't do anything, I'm not ripped. Look at me. That's what a waste of time. Of course I'm not going to do this anymore. It's all a big lie. That would be ridiculous, right? We know that that's not how it works. If someone wants to look, I mean, that, if someone wants to grow, if they want to thrive, they want their muscles to thrive, that is a long process that you start and you dig in through, throughout, throughout the rest of your life that becomes a pattern and a habit. That's the way that's supposed to operate. In the same way, when you, here's how the Bible works. It's something that you begin saturating yourself in and it over time is shaping who you are. So you have a, a big decision coming up. A big job decision. You're like, well, I got a big decision. I want to know what the Bible says. And you're pulling it out saying, you know, what does it tell me? What job does it tell me to do? That's not how the Bible's supposed to work. Here's how it works. For the last several months and years, you've been studying your Bible regularly and shaping you. And over time, it's, it's shaping something so much deeper than just this surface level decision. It's been telling you here, I've been reading the Bible and it's telling me, okay, here are my priorities. God is my first priority. My family is my second priority. And what I'm realizing as I'm studying the Bible, man, honestly, success and money are not good things to, they're not gonna make me happy. They're not good things to idolize. And so those are, are, are not my priorities anymore. And it shaped that. So then when I have a job decision, I'm saying, okay, well, why am I pursuing this? Is it just because I want the money and the success? Because I know that that's not my priority. And, and let me ask better questions. Is it, is it going to draw me away from my family, which is my priority? And now I'm equipped to make a job decision. 
It's the person that's got a dating decision. And they're trying to like, well, let me just open it up and who should I date? That's not how the Bible's designed to work. It's you've been saturated, you've been chewing on it for so long that you realize, okay, the number one most important relationship in my life is God. So now that I have a dating relationship, now I know the place to start, is this person going to draw me closer to God or farther away from God? And now it's been shaping something so much richer and deeper, now I'm equipped to make some of these decisions. See, here's how the Bible is supposed to operate in our life. It's something that we have to realize, man, I want to delight in this. This is going to shape my life. The Bible will, and this is something that I want to chew on, to marinate on, to be pondering so much. I'm like walking around muttering about it practically so that it's shaping who I am and preparing me for whatever life brings my way. So let's talk about three things. Uh, talk about three practical ways to respond. If you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to write this down. If you are not a note taker, I want to consider. I want to ask you to consider becoming a note taker and write this down. Three different things: the ways that we can respond to Psalm one. Think about it like this. The first thing: calendar your Bible. The most important things in our life, we put on the calendar. We make space for on our life. Calendar your Bible. Um, one just encouragement I'd like to make to you this. I don't know that this is a command from the Bible, but just a practical thing. Um, so many people um, encourage you to read the Bible first thing in the morning. I've found that if I don't do it first thing in the morning, it's probably not going to happen in my personal study between me and God. And here's why. Because our lives are so built on this busy tyranny of the urgent that the moment I step out the door in the morning or the moment the kids wake up in the morning, all of a sudden there's all these mini emergencies that control the rest of my day. And not only if I'm like, oh, I'll read it at lunch or you know, I'll, I'll think about it in the car or whatever it is, there's all these things that are distracting me the rest of the day and it's hard for me to get back to this quiet place where I'm just listening to God. So if you can in any way wait, go to bed 30 minutes early, Earlier, get up 30 minutes earlier, drink your coffee, preferably French press coffee, if first thing in the morning with your Bible, calendar it in. Because it's, it's, if it's going to be a priority, it's got to go on the calendar. The first thing, calendar your Bible. Here's the second thing. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. You say, okay, where do I start? Let me just give you three books. All of the Bible is, is going to be impacting on you, but let me give you... Three books that are great places to start because they're very accessible. Um, consider the book of Mark is a great place to start because Mark is just one of the Gospels. It talks about the story of Jesus. You'll learn about Jesus, see what he says, watch how he interacts with people. He'll shock you, surprise you, sometimes push you, sometimes it, just get to know Jesus through the book of Mark. Maybe just take a little section each day and you read about Jesus. Mark is a great place to start. Another great place you could start is the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Proverbs is another great book you could consider doing. It's these little nuggets of wisdom, biblical wisdom. And it is interestingly laid out with 31 Proverbs. So it can correlate even with the days if you want. And maybe you read through it and you say, you pick out one that really stuck out and you just chew on it the rest of the day. A third book you could consider, another book that might be a good place for you to start is the book of James in the New Testament. 
James is a hard-hitting book. He does not mess around. He will hit you right between the eyes. And you can take one section, read through it, and I promise you, you will be challenged. It will expose some things in your life that, that you're surprised are there. James is a great, very practical place to start. Anywhere you start is great. Those are three places you could start and just not only calendar your Bible, but read your Bible. Here's the third one. Chew your Bible. You've got to chew on it. If, if I just read it and check off the box, that's not how the Bible is supposed to operate. If the most important book in the world is the Bible, the second most important book might be your journal. If you can read the Bible with a journal next to you so you can just simply jot down a couple things that you're learning, it will help you marinate in what God is trying to teach you. I personally prefer something digital over a physical journal. I use Evernote. I just open a new note and jot down some things that God's showing me out of that passage. Maybe you just take something simple. If you're starting with the book of Mark tomorrow, you're going to read about John the Baptist and you're going to read and it says that John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, that man, I am not worthy to even untie his sandal. And so you'll pull out your, your, your journal and you'll say, wow, John the Baptist has an unbelievable respect for Jesus. He, he's bragging about Jesus. Jesus is more important than John the Baptist. And all of a sudden the light goes off in your, in your head and you say, you know what? I need to make sure that today I honor Jesus. I brag on Jesus that Jesus is the most important. And so then you just, you say a prayer, you say, God, help, give me an opportunity today to brag on Jesus. It can be as simple as that. Maybe you're reading through the book of James, and all of a sudden you come to the chapter on favoritism, and man, it's like a punch to the gut. And you're like, man, I never saw that in my life, but I got to stop for a second, do I? It says, don't show favoritism, but to love everybody. Well, are there people that I will treat differently than someone else? And all of a sudden it's exposing things in your heart. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, God, is there someone that, that I'm mistreating or I would treat better than another? And you're writing that down like, Lord, show me. And then watch out because later that day, Someone's going to walk into your business or walk in to your store and all of a sudden it's going to be a difficult person for you to deal with. God has a way of what you're reading in the Bible. He loves to finish that lesson later in your week. Watch out because he, he's the one that's orchestrating and working through all of your reading. He's at work working through that. It can be very simple, but chew on it. Take it with you that day. It's as simple as that. Calendar your Bible. Read your Bible Chew your Bible. Um, I, I want to, before we, we wrap up, I, I want to just let you know of a couple very um, simple resources because sometimes you're like, look, I just don't understand what I'm reading. If you ever feel like that, I know I feel like that sometimes, let me give you just, an, uh, I think, an incredible resource for that. There are things out there called study Bibles, but not every study Bible is created equal. There is one that is absolutely phenomenal. It is very scholarly, so you can, you can trust it. Um, at the same time, it's very accessible. It's called the ESV Study Bible. And it has notes on pretty much every verse you read. It has a little explanation on the bottom. And it, and it anticipates the sticky parts. So the parts that you're like, well, what does that mean? It almost always will have um, an answer for that and help you understand what you're reading. I highly recommend this. We have a bunch of them at the Resource Center in the back lobby. They're $25 today. It's probably cheaper than you can even get it online. Um, but I'd encourage you to, that's a great investment if you're like, look, I need to jumpstart this in my life. Go back to the Resource Center, pick up one of these ESV study Bibles. I think it'll be a huge impact for you. Another resource to make you aware of 
is on, online, we have on our podcast a sermon series, a short three-part sermon series we did a while back called How to Read the Bible for Dummies. And that series, we just broke out how to read the Bible. So if you're like, look, I need more training. I just need to understand how to read and study the Bible. Go back. It's on, you can find it on our website and listen to those three sermons so it equips you on how you can do this. You know, when it comes to a do-it-yourself project, some of us don't do those projects, and we, there's a couple reasons that we don't. We say, look, I just don't know how to do it, so I'm going to hire someone to do it. Say, look, I probably could do it. I just really don't have time. And then there's some of us that are like, I don't really care. I'm good with the fact that it's broken. You know, when it comes to the do-it-yourself side of our spiritual growth, studying and chewing on the Bible, sometimes what we say is, I do it, but I don't know how. Now you do know how. It really is that simple. And you can, it's just a simple place to start. Now you have all the tools to know how to do it. Some of us are saying, I would, but I don't have time. You know that's not true. I'm not saying anything against how busy you are. Um, statistics show the average American watches more than five hours of television a day. I know you don't, but I know the average American does. Okay? I know that you're busy, but what, is pro- what you have as your priorities are the things that you make space for. But some of us say, and this is the scariest one, some of us say, I just, I'm okay that it's broken. I don't care. And here's what I would push you on. It comes down to this. Do you believe Psalm 1 or not? Do you believe that it's saying, trust me, you will be blessed if you do this. It just boils down to whether you believe it or not. And I hope that this psalm that you're hearing, this is God speaking to us through this psalmist, through this psalm, saying, this is how I've designed for you to thrive. Wouldn't it be awesome if, as a church, like this became something that we as individuals, as families, were passionate about? So in our community groups, we're always just talking. We have, get lunch or coffee or get together as couples. We're always talking about, hey, this is what I read in the Bible. And this is what, man, in the, earlier in my devotions, I was reading through this. In my quiet time, I was reading. This is what God's working on. What if that was just so much part of our conversation because we were such people that were marinating in the Bible? How amazing would that be? But you know, there's some that are here today and, and there's a first step that you need to take. You know, there's one part. Part of our spiritual growth is do it yourself. But there's one part of our spiritual lives that is absolutely not do it yourself. You need an expert to do this. You cannot do it. And that's the first step. That's finding salvation. That's finding, that's getting to heaven one day. If you're here and saying, look, I know I need to read my Bible because I know I want to make God happy and I know I need to do enough good to get to heaven. Time out. That's not something. Getting to heaven is not something you can do yourself. We can't. All of us stand before God, condemned before God. Every one of us have done enough wrong, enough sin in our life that we deserve an eternity away from God in hell. But God looked down and saw that we were broken And he sent in the expert to fix us. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus lived a perfect life, was crucified to a cross, and died. Because he lived a perfect life, he could be the sacrifice, the payment for our sins. And he rose again from the dead. And because he defeated death, if we put our faith in Jesus, we can have eternal life one day. Maybe you just today, your step is to, to realize, okay, look, I can't earn God's love. I can't earn his approval. I can't earn my way to heaven. I just need to stop trying to do that part myself. The first step is something God has to do. It's what Jesus did on the cross. It's not what I do, what he did. And so today, I'm just simply, I want to make it right with God once and for all. I want to find forgiveness and once and for all put my faith in Jesus and realize he is the one that saves me. Is that you? Are you ready to take that step? Then I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? If that's you, right there in your seat, maybe you're, you're sitting here and you're saying, I need to take that step. You might even be just joining us online. You might be sitting in your living room and ready to take that step today. And if that's you, right there between you and God, I want you to pray this prayer between you and him. I want you to simply say this in your heart. Just say, God, I need you to do it. I need you to save me. Thank you for loving me just where I'm at right now, for accepting me right where I'm at right now. And thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross to pay for my sins so that I can be forgiven. Thank you for saving me. I give you my life and I want to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.